0: you guys today. I hope you guys survived your cold weather. Uh, before we get started, uh, I'm going to provide a little disclaimer. Uh, I already made sure that uh, uh, that uh, anyone under 17 went home today from the fuse uh, or, or is in Sunday school. Uh, this message is rated R. Uh, <laughs> trigger warnings, this message is rated R. Uh, So if you're watching at home and you have children in the room or middle schoolers or even very sheltered like homeschool high schoolers, you might want to consider watching this without them. Uh, With that said, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of your word. We don't pick and choose and skip over passages in the Bible that are problem passages that make things uncomfortable for us, dear God. We, uh, we study your scripture, and we trust your judgment, and uh, we want the full witness and the full testimony of your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, well, we've been dealing with the sons of Jacob and, and the mothers of the sons of Jacob and showing how the sins of the father, Jacob, uh, the sins of the father, Jacob, have uh, negatively affected his sons. And uh, we're going to pick up in uh, Genesis 37, verse 26. As you know, Joseph is in the pit, and uh, he's not happy about it. Uh, So, then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers, listen to him, some clothes. They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped his blood in the robe. This was Judah's idea. Judah is the son of Leah, but he's definitely his father's son. This is the kind of shady thing Jacob would do. But uh, Judah, so they, so they dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not, and he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his sons for many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept, Meanwhile, thus his father wept for him. Ah, Judah. Yeah, we've dealt with Dan and Bilhah. We've dealt with uh, Leah and Reuben. We've dealt with uh, Joseph and Rachel. And now we're dealing with Judah. Judah and, just Judah and Jacob. Judah is definitely Jacob's son. Uh, In the early 2000s, uh, the University of Alabama was put their football program was put under sanctions. You know, they lost draft picks and things and were kind of crippled for, you know, recruiting malfeasances or something. So it was hard for the University of Alabama, who was not the powerhouse it is today, to uh, try to bounce back uh, after they got rid of their coach, did Dennis Franchione, who actually coached uh, the university I went to before I was there. And uh, the best they could find was a young, very succ- or young, was a youngish, recently successful coach out of the Pac-10 up in the Northwest, coaching up in, I think it was Washington State or something. And he'd taken his team to the Rose Bowl and the Pac-10 for the last uh, two seasons. So he was definitely, he was the best they could find. I mean, and even though Alabama hadn't been very strong for about 10 years, they were still an SEC school. And it was still an upgrade to go from the Pac-10 to the SEC. So Mike Price was newly hired in January And uh, well, uh, it didn't go well. He was fired before he ever coached a down uh, because uh, he was, uh, well, he was caught where he wasn't supposed to be, doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing. And a University of Alabama credit card might have been involved. And that's when you're in the wrong place doing things you're not supposed to be doing. You don't want to leave the, your, your boss's credit card lying around. Just letting you know. Uh, you're probably wondering what this has to do with Judah. Uh, it has a lot. Uh, Judah, Judah was the most decent of Jacob's sons. Uh, he was Leah's son that Leah had, almost like a special. Leah conceived him and bore him in gratitude and gratefulness to God, and remember his name reflects it. You know, just thank you, God, I got this awesome son. Judah was the son that was just enough. Because God had given her Judah, and she didn't care what her husband Jacob thought. So Judah was, you know, her last son. He was the youngest son of that first round of Leah's kids. And uh, he was a pretty, and she was really happy with him. Uh, When he did this to uh, sell Jacob, he was probably pushing 30. Even though Jacob, or sorry, even though Joseph was 17, he was probably pushing 30, Judah was. Uh, And it was his idea to sell Job and then, or to sell his brother Joseph. It was also his idea to uh, think up the uh, deception with the uh, goats and the clothes and the blood. And you know, after you do something really bad like that and dishonor your father and lie, and though you don't realize it or not, you doom yourself and your brothers to be kicked out of the promised land again, just like dear old dad did, only it's 400 years in Egypt instead of 20 up in Aram, uh, you feel really guilty. Who's ever blown it? like, did something really bad, blown it, and you kind of avoided God for a little while. Has anybody ever avoided God after you've sinned? Yes. Uh, And uh, he's feeling really guilty because Joseph here, when Joseph refuses to be comforted, that's almost in Joseph's, that shows in their culture when he's like, don't comfort me, I'm just going to mourn forever, go down to my grave. Even though he says a wild beast must have torn him, he's not accepting the death. There's something about it that just doesn't feel right to him. You know? Anyways, well, when you... Oftentimes, even if we're a godly son walking with God, and even if we restrained our brother's evil intent a little bit, you know, uh, we do feel guilty when we've done something wrong. And we see that with Joseph, or with Jacob here. (laughs) With Judah, excuse me, excuse me, with Judah. Okay, okay, and uh, so Judah's feeling guilty about deceiving his dad and cheating his brother Joseph, so he goes, verse 30, this is is Genesis 38, uh, verse 1, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. Now, I'm not going to pretend to you that I went and researched what an Adulamite was, but it doesn't sound like a Christian name to me. I'm just saying, I don't, think, I don't think he was a believer, okay? You know, and so what we see here uh, is uh, Judah leaving the community of faith, leaving his father's house and going and hanging out with unbelievers. And that's never a good idea. Uh, Coach Mike Price of Alabama, you know, uh, he was trying to fit in down in Tuscaloosa and it wasn't the uh, liberal Permissive environment that he was used to up in uh, Washington and Oregon. So, when he was invited to go on a golf tournament down to Florida on the University of Alabama's dime and, like, in a Boosters private jet, uh, he took him up on it. Uh, and the uh, plane hadn't touched the ground apparently before, uh, before dinner with the Boosters, uh, he went to a gentleman's establishment with the company credit card or with the university credit card. Never a good idea. And so Mike Price, just like Judah, is in the wrong place with unbelievers. Uh, This reminds me of something. Why does this sound familiar? This reminds me of King David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to lie. Can we just read King David and Bathsheba for a second? Let's read King David and Bathsheba for a second. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. It's on the screen. uh, Verses 1 and 2. In the springtime of the year, when is that? That's the time when kings go out to war. David sent Joab, his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So David's in the wrong place, the wrong time. And it happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. What was he doing on the roof? It's kind of creepy that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, okay? So in the same way that Mike Pence didn't belong at that Florida play, I mean, you gotta remember, this is the SEC. If you're in Florida, you're in enemy territory, okay? This isn't like the private public life sort of thing and rights to privacy and permissiveness that he enjoyed up in the Pac-10 up in Washington and Oregon. We're very judgmental down in the Bible Belt. You know, He's in enemy territory. This is Florida Gators country, okay? Everyone knows, even, this is, even though this was before the internet, everybody knew who he was. And in the same way that Mike Price didn't belong there, in Florida, behaving badly, it's the same, in the same way that Judah's great, great, great son, David, didn't you know, belong at home during wartime. You know, Judah was in the wrong place at the wrong time, avoiding his family in shame. You know I mean? And look, I would be ashamed too. He he engineered the sale of his brother, the betrayal of his brother into slavery, and then the deception of his father. But no matter, and that guilt is real, and that shame is real. But no matter how much you or I have done something that's bad or blown it, we can't let our shame or our guilt keep us or even drive us to the wrong place the way Judah let it drive us Drive him away from his father's house and into the company of the certain Adulamite, a certain Adulamite. You know, when you screw up big, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger to this church. Don't be a stranger to your community of faith. Don't be a stranger to God's word. And don't be a stranger to your quiet times with God. Okay? Don't stop going to church because you started to smoke weed again. This is Oklahoma. I know, please. Keep going to church no matter what you're doing. Keep reading God's word, no matter what you're doing, okay? Don't stop talking to your family because you lied and cheated them. That's going to be a sure, and they don't know about it yet. That's going to be a sure tip off, you're the guilty one anyway. That's a bad strategy. But more importantly, if they're a Christian godly family, you need their love to soften your hard heart. Please, our first takeaway here is don't let sin put or drive you or even keep you in the wrong place, Verse 2, chapter 38. Then Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite. Oh, we got a, first we got a certain Adulamite, and that's not a Christian name. And now we got a certain, now then Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Uh-oh. Now, when you hear Canaanite, the first thing that should come to your mind from a biblical point of view, if you're one of the people from back then, is sexual depravity, okay? These people were sexual depraved because they're, and they were religiously depraved because they were sexually depraved or were they sexually depraved because they were religiously depraved. Their their dysfunctional sexuality and their dysfunctional, idolatrous, perverse religion were the same. They were wrapped up together. You couldn't separate one from the other. And uh, this is why uh, it's very, God was always like, never marry a Canaanite. Abraham sent a servant. All the way back to Aram to get Rebekah because he did not want his daughter marry or he did not want his he did not want Isaac marrying a Canaanite. You know, and then what does Esau his son do? Marry a Canaanite. And and Rachel was like, oh, we gotta send Jacob away. Well, he'd already did the whole goat and clothes thing to steal the birthright, but still Jacob got sent all the way back home, had to stay there for 20 years to marry Leah and Rachel because they were not Canaanites. And so And, you know, even Abraham himself never married a Canaanite. He, you know, married his sister. But the point is, there are things worse than marrying your half-sister, apparently, to the story, and that's marrying a Canaanite. Don't do it. What does he do? He looks and sees the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. Her name wasn't Shua. The Canaanite's name was Shua. And here's the reason. God and Abraham felt this way about Canaanites for a reason, and Judah knew better. He knew he wasn't supposed to be marrying a Canaanite, he, but he shouldn't have been hanging out with that certain Adul- Adulamite away from his father's house anyway, because the Bible always prophesies. The whole book of, Gen- the whole book of Deuteronomy is always how, if you let these Canaanites corrupt you, I'm going to destroy you and take you out of this good promised land I gave you. God and Abraham and everyone knew that if you intermingle with Canaanites your religion and your faith and your lifestyle will be polluted and corrupted and destroyed. I mean, basically, they the Canaanites were just like the Israelites. They worshiped the one true God. They believed in his in an only begotten Son who freed the Canaanites from disease and death. Nothing about sin though, okay? yeah, that's the problem. See, the Canaanite, they believed in God, and they believed in he had an only begotten son named Baal. Maybe you've heard of him. And Baal went down into Hades or into Sheol, just like Jesus did when he was crucified, died, and was buried, and he conquered death. Uh, but Baal didn't conquer anything about sin. God, Baal didn't care about sin. Our God cares about sin. Jesus cares about sin. Baal didn't. Baal's religious worship was centered around a death sex cult that practiced human sacrifice and sexual slavery. So it was a big no-no to intermingle with them and be corrupted by them. But once again, as uh, John, the Apostle John says, the lust of the eyes overtakes Judah right here in verse 2. It's the sin of think we see something, and then all of a sudden, as soon as we see it, we think we know what we want. And once we start thinking we know what we want, we start threatening to derail God's plan for Eden. Uh, Just like King David, his great-great-grandson saw Bathsheba and took her. Uh, The Hebrew here is screaming with its figurative language to recognize the formulaic warning. Whenever you read a very literal translation of the Bible, this is why literal translations like the King James matter, they're trying to get the same rhythm in the same translation. Whenever you see somebody seeing and taking in the Bible, you know. They're committing the lust of the eyes. They're sinning. Okay, uh, in Genesis thirty-four two, we haven't preached the sermon yet, but the prince of the land Shechem sees Judah's sister Dinah and takes her and defiles her. And in Genesis fifteen, fi- in Genesis fifteen fifteen, Pharaoh sees Sarah and takes her and defiles her. And the fallen angels in Genesis six. The sons of God, the fallen angels, they see the human women. They see them, they take them, and they are defiled by them. The sons of God defile themselves with the human women. And of course, all of this goes back to the ultimate, or, or not to say the ultimate, but the first, the first miscue. Eve sees the fruit on the tree, sees that it's desirable and good for food and desires to make one wise. All that. She sees the fruit, that it's beautiful, and she takes it, okay? Whenever you see see and taking, you got to go all the way back through Genesis to just keep realizing the sin you're doing. And just, and just as Eve saw the forbidden fruit and defiled herself, Judah saw Bathsheba and took her. I did not just say that wrong. Who, who was thinking about David and Bathsheba? No, I meant Judah and Bathsheba. Okay, I did not say that wrong. This Canaanite girl is literally the daughter of Shua, or Bat-Shua. But the funny thing about the Bible here, and the author of 2 Samuel knew this, that word Shua there, why we, the Hebrew V is sometimes translated a U, like our W, it looks like a V, right? And it's sometimes translated a B. It's written the same in the Hebrew. So what is translated Sheba, and Samuel is Shua here. This is the, literally the daughter of Sheba or the daughter of Shua, okay? Judah is in the wrong place with the wrong woman, a literal Bathsheba, a daughter of Shua, destroying God's kingdom on earth to satisfy what he thinks he wants because he saw it and took it. And this is why we don't want to be in the wrong place. When you find yourself in the wrong place, it's so easy to hand over the kingdom of God, the kingship and God's authority, because you saw something you want and took it. Remember, saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you're on the enemy territory through your own bad decisions or because God drops you there, like Joseph, You carry the kingdom of God with you as his emissaries. Through the Holy Spirit living in your heart, you bear God's presence wherever you go. Remember that and act like it. You're not doomed to see and to take and hand over the kingdom. Let's read verse 3, verses 3 through 5. He took her and, okay, I'm going to finish up verse 2. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. Oh, oh and, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. Also, he still hasn't gone home to live with the family. Uh, you know, and hey, maybe if you marry a Canaanite, maybe if she was a really good girl and you got her away from her family and away from her pagan community, you could take her back to your father's house and your church family, maybe the damage could be mitigated. But no, Judah married a pagan Canaanite woman living among pagan Canaanites. So they're not like going to church on Sunday and that house is not a, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord sort of house. Maybe Judah's trying. Maybe it's half that because Judah did fear God, but his wife's working against that. There's no churches around to attend to. And the culture itself is undeniably Canaanite. And when you have And when you marry a pagan Canaanite woman, you have pagan Canaanite kids, Uh, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Now, this name, Ur, uh, it's literally the word for a watcher. Uh, That's the word in Daniel, a watcher, is what they use for if you've read the book of Enoch or if you read Genesis 6. Those sons of God that come down with the human women, those were called watchers. That was their nickname. So right away, I'm not saying Ur was a watcher. I'm saying his name means watcher. So right away, a reader of Genesis and the author of Genesis is trying to pick your brain to Genesis 6. So you should actually be expecting some sexual dysfunction or some sexual sin or rebellion just by naming this guy Ur, because you're going to think of Genesis 6, think of the sin of the watchers, and the sin of the watchers was with the human women. You're going to think of something wrong. Uh, Onan, his name means two things. Uh, It means vigorous, or it means to aggrieve, to grief somebody. Uh, a grief to somebody. This like kind of like uh, Esau's Canaanite wives were a grief to his mother Rachel. And of course, Shelah. Uh, in foreshadowing, Shelah means kind of. Oh, let's slow walk this. Let's drag it out. It means stalled or unnecessarily prolonged. Like one of my sermons. Just get to the point. Uh, anyways, uh, gonna. Try to get to the point here. Uh, sinful Canaanite sons raised in sinful Canaanite context, no matter how godly their father is, don't treat their wives right, okay? And Judas probably realized by this point, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right thing, living my kids out here, but there's always a blind spot to your sons. Your sons are awesome. So he takes a good, a good Christian wife for his wife, or not a good Christian wife. He takes a good, uh, a good normal, non-Canaanite wife for his kids trying to get back in line. And Judah took a wife. Now remember, Judah is filthy rich by those standards. He's like a bazillionaire, okay? Or he's like very, very rich. So he's gonna buy the best wife he can find. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, okay? And uh, to this day, it's really weird. Uh, Tamar, one of David's, Tamar is a name used in the Bible for Judah's, for, it's in the tribe of Judah, David names one of his daughters Tamar. She gets raped by her uh, half-brother, and there's that. Tamar was Absalom's sister, and it started a whole big drama in the kingdom. So it was a popular name then. I've met Jewish Tamars, uh, so it's still a popular name uh, within Judaism. Uh, Now, the rabbis say that Tamar was stunningly beautiful, like Bilhah beautiful. Uh, And because she was so hot, and because Ur was so wicked and evil and Canaanite, uh, things don't go well. Let's read verse seven. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Has anyone ever wondered about this verse? Uh, Yeah, what did he do, right? Well, uh, whatever he did, because his name is Ur, which gets you back to Genesis 6, you're thinking of sexual misconduct. And because he's a Canaanite, you're just assuming sexual misconduct. Uh, the rabbis and a lot of people suspect it was something sexual. Uh, but whatever he did, it was so bad that the Bible won't even mention it, which is saying something, because it mentions what his brother does pretty graphically next. But it was, it was worse than what, whatever Onan does in verse 8. Uh, the rabbis say, now remember, the rabbis Sometimes they add legends that are actually unbiblical and unscriptural and go against the meaning of scripture, but sometimes the rabbis add extra details that are actually in line with scripture or at least don't conflict, and when they don't conflict, I try to share them. Uh, The rabbis uh, say that basically uh, Tamar was so beautiful and her form was so pleasing in form and appearance, as the Bible says, that Onan did not want to get her pregnant to ruin her figure. Yes. Yes. Uh, But, you know, God does have big plans for the line of Judah, like Jesus, King David, important folk. So that's probably not a good strategy to get in God's way when he's got an agenda, just putting that out there. But, uh, yeah, but he was still enjoying his wife just in ways that were not able to get her pregnant. And that got God really, really mad. And so God killed him because God doesn't like it when you misuse people. Of course, Judah doesn't know this. Onan didn't know it either, or maybe he did. I don't know. They were pretty wicked, Uh, but uh, the rabbis are convinced anyways, and I don't see anything wrong with it, that uh, Ur did not want his wife to lose her figure, and so Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Raise up offspring for your brother, and this does sound really, really weird, to our context, uh, to our modern context. I don't think anyone here wants to marry their sister-in-law or their brother-in-law. I get that. Uh, but, and when a, when a rule seems weird, and look, Judah, in hindsight, Judah really did make her life go from bad to worse, almost. You know, she didn't have a good husband, and now she has a, a worse husband. Uh, but he didn't mean that, because this law was actually designed out of the heart of God for love, okay? Uh, Please turn with me to Deuteronomy 25. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, and uh, we're gonna go to verse uh, five, actually. This is a very common thing in the Middle East back then. Because you must remember that it's really bad in the Bible for a man to die without producing offspring. You can even, it's very bad in Judaism to this day because it's kind of understood as a judgment on that man's line. Or not even that man, but his father's line. You know, Judah's line is not gonna be carried on if Ur is dead. Or if the first, or at least Ur's not. So like often you'll hear about men in the IDF who you know, die like in, an, like in a, bombing, like a roadside bomb or something. And they will have actually, if they go to battle, some will actually pay to freeze their sperm so that their wife can get pregnant and bear a son for them, even though they're already dead, if they haven't had a son already, things like that. It's a very big deal to get your uh, line cut off. And uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 25 here, Deuteronomy chapter 25, I missed it. Okay. This is the law of Levite marriage. And as strange as this law sounds, it's actually centered in God's love and concern for women and for widows. Okay, verse 5, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, because you don't know how she's going to treat her, or how he's going to treat her, or how she will be treated. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother. That has implications. Uh, if Onan were to get Tamar pregnant, the son would legally be hers which means he would receive the double portion that the eldest son gets of the inheritance. Okay, Because Er was gonna get like two-thirds, like 50%, because he had three sons. He would get two pieces. They'd break it up into four and he'd get two. He'd get half the estate and the other boys would get a quarter. And if he does not, okay. and. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Yeah, to have your name blotted out of Israel in their minds is equivalent to having your name be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life, okay? Like, I mean, it's like an eternal judgment in this life and the next almost, as much as you could almost think about it in our terms. Now, oof. So, now, why why would God command this? Why would this be a rule? Uh. I said before, it was rooted in God's love for the widows. If it weren't for this rule and this widow was just left destitute on the street, she'd have to resort to prostitution to survive, okay? This was true in Judah's day. It was true in King David's day. It was true in Jesus' day. There was just no other, the economic safety net, in the, like the community safety net only had room for widows with sons, <laughs> okay? Like if you, the idea was if you were a good wife, you had lots of sons and they took care of you in your old age. Uh, it, it didn't really work out. It wasn't perfect, not at all. And so, anyone, so any wife, so any widow who had no sons was just, you know, left as a prostitute unless somebody sacrificially went out of their way to provide for her. This is why Jesus, when he sees a, like, do you remember when Jesus sees the funeral procession of the widow's only son? That's why it matters. It's a widow and it's her only son dead. That's why he stops, oh, wait. I mean, people were dying every day. This is, the, this is back in the olden days when people died all the time. This is why he stops what he's doing, goes and resurrects her only son. Why? Because it was a widow. It was showing his heart. He didn't want that woman to be, have to resort to prostitution to survive, be to homeless prostitution to survive out on the street. And so he actually healed that woman's only son. Okay? Because, I mean, as Jesus' brother James says in verse 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world that 's what makes God happy and uh, that 's why it's so important that the husband do or that the husband 's brother do this now uh, a lot of husbands' brothers didn't want to because there were always economic liabilities involved i mean it, it 's worse when the Brother that dies is the oldest one, because then it's like a really big economic liability. If you get this widow pregnant, your brother's wife's pregnant, you're out of at least half your inheritance, or more two-thirds of your inheritance. And a lot of men didn't want to do it. So, despite what we would think of as the uh, incentive to have an extra wife, a lot of people didn't want to do it. But society had shame was a powerful tool in the Middle East, and this is why we have these next few verses. I mean, think about it. Who remembers in Leah and, or sorry, with Ruth and Boaz, right? The closer relative didn't want to do it because of, would mess up his inheritance. And if a man does not wish to take his brother's right, okay, Onan could have opt out. Odin had the right to opt out. If a man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate. Oh, then his brother's wife, the woman, shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel he will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him and try to talk some sins into him. Hey, man, if this is for the good of the... You, you need to take one for the team here. Hurry up, get her pregnant. It's for the good of your family. It's for the good of the city. It's, we're going to be embarrassed if you don't do this. Do that peer pressure shame thing. But if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then the brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull the sandal off his foot and spit in his face which is how you get killed if you do this to a man in the Middle East, just letting you know. Even today, try it. You'll see what happens. Uh, And then she shall answer him and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house and the name of his house. Shall he be called in Israel, the house of him who pulled his sandal, who had his sandal pulled off. Okay. Yeah, never hit someone with your sandal in the Middle East. Uh, and it never spit in a Middle Eastern man's face. Both of those will get you killed. This will get you killed bad. But this is the one time that woman could do this to him, and he just had to sit there and take it. Now, no man would ever endure such humiliation from anyone, much less a woman. Do you guys remember when President George W. Bush was in the Middle East on a tour? What did that reporter do? Took his shoe off and chucked it at him, right? No, I, mean, I mean, that guy's probably still rotting in jail. But the somebody in the Middle East had to let George Bush, President Herbert, no, no President uh, G.W. Bush know how they felt about him, you know? And, and remember when that big statue of Saddam Hussein fell down? What did they do? <laughs> they, grabbed, they all grabbed their sandals and started beating on him, right, with their shoe. Yeah, It's a big humiliation. And ideally, but of course, Onan's a wicked Canaanite. He does not fear the Lord. He does not respect God. And instead of just, and he doesn't want this shameful thing to happen, But we'll have to tie this off here because I'm already over time. We'll have to get to it next week. Uh, And instead, just focus on why this law exists. This law exists because God has a heart for the widow and the orphan, God loves the widow and the orphan. And even if we find ourselves in the wrong place, at the wrong time. And even if we've done some things in our lives that we're not proud of, that have actually moved us away from our family and destroyed our relationships with our family, it's still not too late. Even if our, we've seen our kids or our grandkids take paths we don't like, uh, whether it was our fault or not, our God is gracious and loving, and we should be comforted That pure religion undefiled is before God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction affliction, and keep oneself unstained by the world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing letters to churches, and a lot of times it's you guys that are stay faithful, just stay unstained from the world and hold fast until I come. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to come back with rewards and blessings to save us and redeem us. And my prayer for all of you this week is in this trying time and when these economic obligations and in this uncertainty in the world, just remember that no matter what is going on in this world today, be encouraged that your God and Father loves you and that if you want to commune with him and be with him, carry out his work on this earth, partner with him to just take care of widows and orphans, You know, drive them to their doctor's appointments things like that. Uh, Thank you for your time. God bless you. If you have never, ever had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and enjoy a pure religion undefiled, please, please, please come down to the altar and we can pray with you. Otherwise, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go and serve the Lord.